Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Rays win their series over the Yankees, but they lose on Sunday in extra innings 8-4. to four. Chris Archer is added to the injured list, but Brent Honeywell Jr. does well in his Major League debut. The Yankees still throwing bean balls at Rays hitters? And the Lightning are back on track with wins over Columbus and Nashville. Andres Vasilevsky with his fourth shutout of the season. Bolts also traded for David Savard, the defenseman from Columbus. And what does drafting number 32 mean to the Bucks? Well, they'd like to pick there every year if it means winning the Super Bowl. I'll tell you what John Spytek, their director of player personnel, said about it. We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. And Steve will... We'll get to all of that. I watched the Masters. That that was a phenomenal uh, event as well to to watch over the weekend. So let's let's start with the Rays though, because you were there. I was at the opener on Friday, the the home opener that is with the Rays. I got to be honest with you, man. Um, Nine thousand, I guess they said the attendance was mm-hmm. in a very socially distanced seating, which we felt incredibly safe and distanced from everybody else. It was just great. You know, I, I couldn't believe I went with my son, and the last game we had been to was the last game anyone had been to, and that was game five, if you remember the AL Divisional Series back in 2019, October 2019 against the Astros. And I there was an energy in this building. I mean, it was really cool. Of course, they had the banners and a lot of pomp and circumstance and stuff like that, but I I just I had to imagine and I know the players and Kevin Cash talked about it having a crowd your home crowd and it was mostly a raised crowd at least on that day um get behind you and they provided lots of big moments to cheer about had to be great for them Oh it's I mean and they all talked about it after the game and and just you went through a season, you went to the World Series, and you didn't have any fans in front of you. Yes, at the World Series you had fans, but it was played in Texas. You didn't get to play in front of your home fans. And so having some fans were good, but, you know, I, I got to imagine even for the players, you know, even if it's the opposing team's fan, when you're on the road, just hearing that is fun too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't have to just be the cheering for you, even if it's the booing for you or just the, the sound of a crowd going silent when you do something great. Uh, I got to imagine there's a rush in that from the players and and they haven't had that for the most part for the last year plus in, in many teams and places. And, and so to have that and opening day and the banners going up and you unveiled, you know, three different banners up there and, and, and just everything that goes with it and, and, and to finally have fans there, it's, it's gotta be a great feeling for those players. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, they're playing sports and, and they're athletes, but they're also entertainers mm-hmm. and, you know, to to entertain without a crowd is a little weird and bizarre and, and hard. Yeah, it can get that way, and, and baseball is hard enough, and so you need that little bit of, of uh, motivation and excitement and being on edge, and, and you're, you are your performers, and, and you can't wait to be up in key situations. And, you know, I wasn't surprised, you know, uh, I remember – Guys like Willie Adamas, you know, in the playoff game, having big moments, uh, whether it was hitting home runs or the relay throws. Well, he had big moments in the home opener, too. He hit one off the wall in right field, hit another one the same place, only he made it over for a home run. Uh, Rich Hale struggled in just one inning. I think Adamas may have gotten him in a little bit of trouble trying to make a play on a ball that probably Joey Wendell might have had a better shot of making. And then before you knew it, there were a bunch of runs on the board. But he pitched. I was impressed by Rich Hale, you know, 41 years old. He works fast, um, not going to throw 94, but uh, tremendous command on his curveball, his changeup. Tell you what, man, if, if he could do what he did, um, you know, in that, in that home opener, they would be more than happy with Rich Hill this year. So in that third inning, yeah, you mentioned the Adamas play. He gets the first two guys, he strikes out Frazier and Tochman, and then he gets into trouble and he gives up the, the, the home run to – uh, Aaron Hicks, the three-run mm-hmm. homer, or the two, the three-run home, a two-run homer, two-run homer, yeah, that's right. Uh, Car- John Carlos Stanton, you know, knocked in two runs, but so he gives that up. He then retires the next ten batters in a row. Yeah, 
to go, get through six innings of, of pitching. I mean, we kind of joked is, you know, the Rays got, what, two runs in the second, and Rich Hill comes out and gives up four the next inning. And you're like, oh, great shutdown inning. Mm-hmm. Well, the Rays came back and, and got three right after that. So, you know, obviously Kluber didn't have a shutdown inning. He was pulled, pulled out in that third inning. Right. And then, but like I said, Rich Hill then from then on end locked down the game. It was, he finished the last 10 batters he got out. I mean, that's, that's exactly what you need a pitcher to do. Okay. You had a bad inning. Mm-hmm. Maybe a fielder, you know, you can't blame Willie Adamas for going for the ball. That's what he does. And that's, no, you know, no, no. But, but he bounced back and he shut them down and shut down that lineup, went through the order, what, what, 10, 10 batters, so more than once. Uh, Glaber yeah. Torres twice there. And so it's exactly what you need from a veteran pitcher is, Okay, we got the lead. I gave it back up. Now my team gave it back to me, and I'm going to lock it down. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah, it was impressive. And and the bats woke up because they had not done that in Boston, obviously. Um, I mentioned Adamas. You also saw big hits from Brandon Lau. Of course, Joey Wendell has been Mr. Clutch so far this year with a lot of RBIs and in big moments. And um, it, was just a, it was just a good raise-like uh, day. And they followed it up. I, I, I got to give it to him because they followed it up. You know, Chris Archer is on the mound, and this is his, you know, home start, his first start of the season, really, because he had come in relief of Rich Hill in his first appearance. And you didn't know what to expect. I didn't think his stuff was that good the first time I saw him pitch. He was a little better, had a little more velocity. I think that's going to build. But then, unfortunately, um, you know, he leaves the game. He hadn't given up any runs, but he has a little bit of elbow tightness. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh. And I don't know if those were tears he was wiping away in his eyes, but he, he was he was nervous. He was scared, I think, and rightfully so after what he's been through. But fortunately, it turns out it's not uh, going to be that serious. They don't believe he may miss a start, maybe more. Um, but it's on the outside. It's just a strain. And so they're hoping that he can get back on, on the hill. But you know what? The bullpen, they spackled it together somehow, and they, they ended up shutting out the Yankees, which is not an easy thing to do. If you can keep those guys from hitting home runs, it seems like you have a really good shot at beating them. But again, they had some some big moments, some clutch moments hitting the baseball, and uh, that was a great game as well. So they they win the series, uh, you know, two games there, and they go in and for the sweep. And I really thought that, you know, they kind of let it get away. I mean, I think mm-hmm. here's my observation of the Rays so far, and it's still like we were talking about. You know, they were two and four, and then all of a sudden they're four and four after the winning first two against the Yankees. They lose on Sunday in extra innings, and really they came within one strike of maybe being able to bat in the bottom of the tenth with a chance to win the game in a tie game. But I I feel this way: they're they're not playing the defense that they're accustomed to playing, and bizarrely, there's a couple things that are hurting them. Obviously, the first base situation is not good. I mean, you know, Yoshi Sasuko was out there and and you know even though it didn't wind up hurting them because they cut a runner down at the plate, I felt like he should have dug a ball out. And, and it's just not not a very good first baseman. He did have a couple of hits in the home opener. Hasn't been swinging the, the bat very well since then or before that, actually. And then the outfield play. I mean, we've seen Meadows, um, you know, box a few balls out there in right field. Then we saw him uh, misplay one that bounced over his head in left field. Then, um you know, then they have another uh, sort of another misplay in right field that goes to the wall. I mean, this team has always, you know, pitching and, and defense has always been their thing, and it, and you and they go together. And so, and until they're con- more consistent with the gloves, and of course on the mound, I worry about them, Steve. Like I know you do. This is not the collection of arms that we're used to seeing with the Rays, and and I know they got guys, you know whether it's on the taxi squad or eventually going to be down in the minors, whatever that, that we're going to see, we're going to see all of them, right? We're going to probably see 50 players. We saw it last year too, in an abbreviated season, how many guys started games for the race or, or much less uh, finished them. But this does not at all feel like the same caliber of pitching that the Rays have had. Well, it's definitely, I mean, you don't have those innings being eaten up by Charlie Morton and Blake Snell. And that's huge. But, you know, I'll go to Sunday. Michael Walker came in. You know, first of all, Brent Honeywell. Phenomenal. Impressive, story. Imp- impressive first start. It's two innings. Tremendous. Um, but, you know, he was supposed to be on the squad, what, three years ago? Yeah. And got hurt in, open, you know, in, in spring training. 
So he's been waiting three years for this opportunity. Um, and he finally gets it and goes right through, you know, six, six up, six down, including strikeouts of what uh, Stanton and Torres. Yeah. Uh, his family was sitting uh, pretty close to the broadcast booth where I was working at, and we could see him and they were going nuts and, and loving it. And as they should, I mean, those are the stories you root for. I mean, the oh, guy was yeah. supposed to make the opening day roster, be one of your, you know, be one of your pitchers. He was, you know, the opener kind of came out because he and a bunch of other pitchers got hurt in that. that spring That's training. right. Uh, I think well, Jose De Leon got hurt that spring training and, and mm-hmm. several others. And so the opener kind of came out of that season by May because they didn't have enough starting pitching. Um, he was supposed to be part of it. And then as he's coming back from Tommy John, he gets hurt again. And what he said, what, four surgeries he's in had three four, years? Four surgeries. You and I talked to Brent Honeywell twice at, um, mm-hmm. you know, when they had the race fan fest before we got into this COVID thing. And, you know, each year, I mean, he was such a, a bright prospect for them. I mean, one of the top in baseball, right? Um, and yet, he, you know, he was a thoughtful guy. He was a mature guy. You talk about somebody who, who, you know, loves the game, right? Loves everything about the game, um, confident. What I saw is what I sort of remember just in talking with Brent Honeywell, which was poise well beyond his years, right? Now, this is a guy that had not been on the mound in a real game that mattered in three seasons, as you mentioned, much less. It was his major league debut, not the way he would have planned it, not not after all these surgeries and setbacks, but you know what? There he was. This was his dream. His family was there to watch it, and after all that he had been through, all and people don't understand that when you're when you're injured, when you're going through stuff like this, it's it's not year to year, it's day to day. Like there's baby steps. There's you know um, waiting for for the surgery to heal and the swelling and you know throwing the sock and doing. And he had to do this, build his arm back up three different times because of setbacks and surgeries and things like that. Stuck with it. You don't feel like you're a part of anything, of any team. But this was his dream. This is what he was meant to do. And I loved the interview. I guess they showed a video um, that I saw online from the Rays about Brent Honeywell and him talking about why why he stuck with it, why he still does it. And, you know, basically it was, look, you know, I still have an arm. I can still throw a baseball. I was injured. Um, you know, and it's like his dad asked him, what's the worst thing that can happen to you on the field? He goes outside of getting hurt. You might lose. And he goes, well, you know, then you win more than you lose. And that's what, that's what Brent Honeywell has always done. He's always won baseball games. And so, you know, he, he has no fear. He's out there. He's going to do this. He's going to fulfill this dream. And I know they sent him down after the game. You know, it's funny. And I don't think people on Twitter necessarily understand the situation here, but like they were mad at Kevin Cash because he took him out after two perfect innings. Um, but this kid has not been built up at all. I mean, like I said, literally this was his first time on the mound in three years and making his major league debut. But what I saw, Steve, was poise and also just the passion. He plays mm-hmm. and and pitches with great command. He has great stuff, but just the, 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 the competitiveness this guy has, you can feel it when he's on the mound. Well, he's never lacked confidence. And no. throughout this three years, it, that's not waned at all. And, and that's hard to do too. Yeah. Um, give him a lot of credit for that. I mean, it's, of course. it would be easy over the last three years to start doubting yourself and doubting that you may ever get to live out your dream and, and this, right. and, and, but he's never lacked that confidence. And I, I thought that was about as impressive as a debut as you could have had. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, it, it wouldn't have surprised me if they would have taken him after one inning, but he got through the first so quickly and easily. Yeah. Um, and, and asked before the game, Kevin Cash was asked, is he going to be limited to one inning? He said, no, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, had that first inning been rough, it may have only been an inning. But he got through two. And then Michael Walker comes in. And the first, what, four batters get on walk, home run, single, double. And then after that, he locked it down. You know, yep. much like Rich Hill the day before. Yep. You know, so he gives up the three runs. Mm-hmm. And, and they're down at the time because the Rays had scored two in the bottom of the second. Kind of yeah. almost a, kind of a parallel to the other game. Yeah, but then he locks it down. He what retires? I want to say it's one, two, three. Uh, what twelve of the next thirteen? Just a walk in there. Twelve of his last thirteen batters he retired. So yeah, sounds right. I mean, you love seeing those performances. Okay, I gave up some runs, but how do I respond to it? How do I, mm-hmm. you know, don't let it spiral out of control? And both Rich Hill and Michael Waka did that. Yeah, but. Getting back to your your premise of this, and, and I agree, these aren't the same arms as, as Morton and Snell in that. 
Mm. And this team has to play better defense behind these guys. Yeah, they do. I mean, this team truly has to be built by their defense behind the pitching. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the the bats warm up some more. Brendan Lau still ice cold. Um, you know they they need to get some more hot bats, but more importantly, they need better defense behind them. Margot can't let the ball bow, bounce no. over his head in the tenth inning. No, um, Meadows can't have yeah, that happen either. You know, first base, they've got a problem without G Man Choi out there. Ugh. Um, you know, and and you know they got lucky that you know Brett Gardner pulled a toot bland and got thrown <laughs> out at third. You do know what that is, right? No, it sounds Two funny. Planet, it's, it's a baseball acronym. It's it's. Uh, let me make sure I get it right. Thrown out on the bases like a nincompoop. <laughs> That's what they call that. It's you know when you well, make the ball, base the running, ball, which the Rays have been known for two lands for years now. But yeah, Brett, to, Brett his, to his to his. Uh, I, I'm going to come to his defense a little bit. The ball was in the dirt and bounced straight up, and from third base, you really don't have the depth perception to know that it wasn't behind Zanino. It was just up in the air. True. So, yeah, he, he did get cat caught in no man's land, and but, the rule, but the rule is you got to see it get behind him. Well, exactly. I mean, yeah. it's he one was, out with Aaron Judge. Oh, yeah, it's there. a terrible I mean, base running mistake. A, it sack took him out fly of the gets you, a sack fly gets you in. You don't have to be that aggressive. Then. No, no, no. It was a base running mistake. It was, you don't mm-hmm. want to get picked off you know, third base like that, but – um, I understand his aggressiveness, and that's how Gardner has always played, and mm-hmm. it ended up biting him that because you got to know the situation, just like you said. You know, you're going to walk home on a fly ball, et cetera. Um, but you know, that was the thing that was disappointing. If you're the Rays, they wriggled off the hook all day, right? They got double plays that they turned. Um, you know, they mm-hmm. were able to get out of jams, uh, even into the extra innings, and then they were really one strike away you know, from going to the bottom of, uh, of what the 11th inning or whatever it would have been. And, you know, then, then of course they, they give up a a run scoring single. I, you know, I don't know how I feel, Steve. I, I, I appreciate the baseball, not wanting these games to go nine hours and, you know, you end up throwing a second baseman as on the mound, but by the same token, man, that's a sudden death when you start with a runner on second base, you know, like that's, it's it's uh it is you gotta lock it down both both teams teams have have to do it yeah no doubt now granted you know the rays when they they got their guy in second they were down four that's right it was Uh, a little it was oh too late then but um you know and then i i mean you can play the interesting thing is like how do you play it right do you do move the guy to third with less than two out do you hit away um there's there's a lot if you're on the road is it different than you're at home that sort of thing well, if you, the Yankees sacrificed him to third. They did. Mm-hmm. You know, after what Hicks got hit by the pitch, and it almost cost him. You know, it almost cost mm-hmm. him because they almost stranded him there. And you know, um, and like I said, they they give up the sort of a sort of a handled job line drive to center field that kind of falls in and and you know breaks the tie, and then um, then the wheels kind of fell off after that. But look, two out of three against the Yankees. Um, you know, they had been back to 500 at four or five. The whole AL East is all bunched up right now. Um, no one has really separated, but they need to, they need to continue to have a good home stand. They got Texas coming in here, which was just no hit by the San Diego Padres, I mm-hmm. guess, which their first no hitter there. I didn't realize they were the only yep. team in major mm-hmm. league baseball that had not thrown a no hitter. Yep. And uh, it wasn't Blake Snell. It wasn't you Darvish. That's right. <laughs> It was their fourth guy, I think, fourth or fifth starter. Although they have a, they have a loaded pitching staff. So. They do, and they're really, really good. I mean, that that's a good baseball team. So, yeah, um, you know, Texas comes in here now. You know, you, you have a good series, and, and it's just about winning series right now. But I, they're so shorthanded, you know, especially because they got into the bullpen a couple of days, and, and I just don't, you know, outside of Glasnow, and, and like I said, they sent Honeywell back down. Archer will be back at some point. I mean, they're going to have to really – spackle this together mm-hmm. kevin cash and those guys and um you know diego castillo has been sort of up and down he's had some good innings had had some obviously gave up you know blown blown a lead in, in in this season already so i'm not sure it just doesn't seem to be and it's because of injuries i mean they've mm-hmm. they've already got so many guys on on the injured list it's not even funny particularly in their pitching staff i mean that's a hard yep. thing hard thing to overcome so i think we're going to see a lot of arms coming up from, you know, the taxi squad and from the minors and going back and forth. But well, another good thing about this pitching staff, and while they're beat up and and, and they're spackling it together, they gave up. They played twenty eight innings this weekend. They gave up runs in five of them. Pretty impressive, yeah. I mean, you know, when you think back to it, 
you know, like I said, Rich Hill had the one bad inning. Michael Walker had the one bad inning. Mm-hmm. But as a pitching staff as a whole, five only five innings did they give up runs to that Yankees lineup. Yeah. So, uh, you, you know, it, while it feels like Sunday got away from them, and it, it did, they had a shot to win that game. Yeah, they were winning 5-4. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got to take the positive out of it. I mean, you won the series, and you held that lineup to, like I said, runs in five innings out of out of the 28 you played. Right. And one of those innings, they started with a man on second base. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I again, I, I was you got to be pleased if you're the Rays to to come home and, and do what they did, especially after the series in Boston. Um, they have a chance now to continue that that home series and, and build on some of those wins. They're going to be in it. Yeah. I I just, you know, you, you hope they can settle this pitching staff. You hope that Archer isn't that injured. Um, can they afford to lose another guy they're counting on for major innings? You know, it's just been it's sort of been hit and miss. But yeah, did I like to see what, a Rosarina get his first two home runs. I did, and I, I love the bat flip and the whole staring in the dugout <laughs> and all that stuff. Listen, that guy. Tell me, you wouldn't now? There are certain players in baseball that if I'm walking by a TV and they're hitting, I'm stopping to watch them hit. Right? Mm-hmm. Randy Rosarina has now become one of those guys for me because I never know what he's going to do. He's he, kind of he's kind of like Tommy Pham was on this team a couple years ago. Yeah. Just brings an fire. intensity, fire, um, man. Yeah, an attitude to it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, it's it, it's great, and we haven't even talked about the Yankees' bean balls. No, we haven't. And you know, I saw a montage of going back all the way to CC Sabathia, who absolutely started all this, right? In this this latest uh, rendition, of course, well, he's been th- out don't of forget, baseball now. They're for allowed years. to throw at the Rays, but the Rays can't throw at them. That's the part that's messed up. Okay. You can't you can't issue warnings to the Yankees and then take the ball out of the Rays hands and say next guy that throws it a hitter, you know, you and the manager are going to are going to take a shower. Just do nothing, okay? Just just let it go. And then then the Rays can at least handle it, you know? But they put they they put the handcuffs on the Rays to where they can't pitch inside or, you know, much less hit somebody. Mm-hmm. What I don't like and what I think the Rays are getting tired of is it seems that the Yankees aren't just throwing at hitters, they're headhunting. They're throwing balls at their chin, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that Meadow, that pitch to hit Meadows. The first one. The first one, yeah, not yeah. the second one. The second one, the, one, I don't think it was. I think that one got away. The first one, yeah. as as Brian Anderson said on the telecast, he says, look, I used to hit guys when I wanted to hit guys. I'm telling you, he was trying to hit them, you know? He says, that wasn't a pitch that got away. I know the difference. I'm going to take his word for it. Mm-hmm. And I think he did hit him. And I think, you know, Meadows had had a couple home runs in the series. And uh, I don't know why they pick on the nicest guys on the team, Meadows and, and Wendell, for some reason. Um, and Mike Brasso, obviously, you know, had to had the famous one in the playoffs. But um, but it's it's happened too much. It's happened. It, it's too much of the Yankees doing it. I know, you know, Kevin Cash is fond of saying we got a whole stable full of guys. Well, you know what? they may have to sacrifice one of those horses because they're just they're, the, the umpires are doing them zero favors right now by, you know, quickly warning. I know they're trying to gain control of the game. I appreciate that, but, but when you really, don't enforce the warnings, you lose control of the game. You, I understand that's how, that. that's how players get hurt. They do. They do. But then, I mean, how do you feel about the fact that, that the Rays, you know, can't retaliate? Well, uh, maybe you argue they I'm, shouldn't, but, but what I'm saying is, 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 you issued a warning, then he mm-hmm. hits him again, the same player again. Now, I don't think it was intentional. Well, they got together and talked about but, it, and they all agreed but, that it wasn't. But you issued the warning. Yeah. He hits the same guy, and you don't throw him out. That's how players get hurt. Now, yeah. I because now the saying. Rays are going to retaliate. Maybe it wasn't today. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's just like in hockey. When you when somebody, when somebody you know takes a run at someone mm-hmm. and should deserve a penalty, and a second guy comes in to – to stand up for his teammate and you even up the penalties, you've punished no one. Yeah. So you stop nothing, which means it only continues. When when officials, umps, refs, whatever, you know, depending on the sport, when you don't take control of the game, you've issued the warning because you those umps know the history between these teams. They oh, know sure. It. Sure. They, they know do. it going into a series. Mm-hmm. And they've probably refed some of those games or umped some of those games in, in the past. Right. So you issued the warnings, and then he hits him, the same guy, and you do nothing. I mean, I, I realize I don't think it was intentional, but you took control of the game by issuing the warnings. 
which the Rays weren't happy. Well, about. you and raise then, you raise a good point, and and you know by issuing the warnings, you're saying he did intentionally throw at him, or that you suspect that he might have, and you're going to cut it out right now. So if you're going to get inside a guy's head, then don't worry about it the next time. If he hits somebody else, you throw him out of the game. You know, you stop worrying about intent because you're already trying to guess with him anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So so why why try to read his mind at that point? I'm with you. I, I understand what you're saying now. Like, if you're going to warn somebody and he does it again, he's out, and so is a manager. Well, I, I didn't you know? know the warning was, well, if you throw it intentionally again, I'm going to throw you out. Well, but how do you know? In other words, well, that's what I'm. You can't know. That's the 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 whole point of a warning is you do it again, you're gone. But don't you think implicit with a warning is that we think that you threw at this guy? Absolutely. Otherwise, there would be no need for one. I mean, yeah, it's it's either that you or allow there's pitchers a hit, or to throw inside. Yeah, well, yeah. You, even if there's a history, you still have to allow a pitcher to throw inside. And, and and occasionally, balls are going to hit batters. I mean, it's not a. It's not a perfect science, right? You want to pitch inside. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get too close. The guy's on top of the plate. He doesn't react well. Ball rides up, and it can hit him. And guys do get hit all the time. And, and you know, there are, I mean, you know, if you throw a breaking ball in the dirt and it hits him in the foot, that's different, right? But mm-hmm. if it's a fastball that's, uh, you know, placed at his rib cage, it could have gotten away or, you know, maybe you did throw at him. But if you're going to issue a warning to me that says, hey, we think you might be throwing at the at, at these hitters. If you do it again, you're out. Well, you've already surmised intent or you're trying to head it off or whatever. Then I'm, I'm sort of with you. Like if you can't, they got together and they said, yeah, I don't think on this pitch he was trying to hit him. Who cares? <laughs> Just, I don't. At I that don't point, recall, throw him out. I'm sure. I'm sure it's probably happened before, but I don't recall in baseball where they've issued the warnings and then a guy gets hit and nothing happens. I don't know. You're right. I, I'm, Usually I'm sure it has happened that. before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I've never seen that when the warnings are issued. Cause there's been times you've seen some where warnings were issued and a guy hit somebody. It was obviously not intentional and they get thrown out and they get tossed in because right. the warnings were issued. Yeah. We're not, we're not allowing this. Yeah. You know, you've seen where it's the breaking ball that hits the back foot. Right. You know, um, that got away. You know, we've seen that and they get tossed and, and I've just never seen it to where the umps issue the warnings. And then go, oh, no, never mind. You're good. Especially when the same pitcher hits the same guy, right, by throwing inside. That looks a little funny at that point. You know. So, I mean, look, they play, what, they play 16 more times? Yeah, they'll play next weekend in New York. So You can bet, the, the, you know, this is going to be one of those years. And, of course, the Rays, I mean, over the last year and a half have just sort of owned the Yankees, to be honest with you. I was reading a story in the New York Post is talking about, look, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to matter – how much money the Yankees spend? The Rays own these guys. You know, they're they 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 prevent home runs. They they're opportunistic. They you know they they manufacture runs themselves. And you know, one of the things I've noticed, and let me ask you this because you've seen a number of games already this season. It's clear to me, and I guess baseball has said it. They have deadened the baseball. The baseball mm-hmm. uh, is not flying out of the park when it does. Uh, there's been a few mammoth shots, but you're seeing it hit the first and second and third row many times. I I think this is, you know, especially the way, the way the Rays play by putting balls in play, I think this is much more fun. I mean, you know, obviously they had, what, a couple home runs uh, on opening day or their home opener. But for the most part, it was a lot of action. A lot of guys running the bases, balls in the gap, balls off the wall. You know, the one that Adamas hit mm-hmm. the first time, that he hit the right field wall, I think would have been gone any other year. I think the ball just, you know, is, isn't as lively as it's been. And you're seeing a lot of, a lot of balls go to the track off the wall, um, bounce over for ground rule doubles and things like that. And maybe statistically, I have nothing to base this on. I'm just, just from what I've home, watched. The home runs are season. down. Home runs are down. Are they? As far as per at bat since okay. uh, the last three seasons, I think. Okay. Um, so it's working. It is. I mean, granted, it's you know you're what 100 games into the small season, sample. So, yeah, I mean, it is a small mm-hmm. sample. But I saw someone tweet that you know through the first 100 games of the last 10 seasons or whatever, gotcha. here was the rate of home runs per at bat or game. I don't remember yeah, what it was, but gotcha. it's it's lower than it's been in in I think since 17 or maybe it was 18. Mm-hmm. One of the two uh, was you know the last time it was this low as far as that. I mean, it wasn't wasn't. Off, it didn't like fall off a cliff bad, but I mean, it's you know, yeah. every year it kind of was it was going up. Um, now, it, this can make baseball more exciting and fun as long as everyone's not striking out. Oh, right, sure, you, you know, and that's you know, I, I think the intent of this is trying to reward contact, 
I do too. And I think that, you know, what was happening was everybody was up there trying to launch and, and, you know, it was about swing plane and about exit velocity and all this stuff. And, um, the strikeouts are no longer punitive. I mean, it used to be the worst thing you could do is strike out. How'd you do? I mean, I remember coming home from, you know, little league games or some game that maybe both parents didn't see, but how'd you do? Well, I got a couple of hits or, well, you know, the worst thing you could say is, well, the first time up I struck out or I struck out three times or, you know, I mean, strikeouts were just like, oh my gosh, you didn't even hit the ball. Now, you know, baseball has changed because it's all about the home run. So, you know, on two strikes, they're swinging, they're letting it go. They're not cheating themselves. They're trying to hit the ball out of the park and, you know, lifting the ball and that that's different too. So yeah, I'm with you. I think if you reward contact, if you make pitchers not afraid, okay, to pitch to contact. Cause I think the other thing that was happening, Steve, is you're seeing walks, you're seeing guys afraid to throw the ball over the plate, you know, and cause everything was going out of the yard. And I saw plenty of mistakes over the weekend, pitches that were struck, but did not leave the yard, you know? And I think that's, I think that's going to help the pitching as well. I hope so. Cause there's nothing worse than a reliever coming in and trying to nibble around the edges of the plate and walk the first two batters. Mm-hmm which drives me nuts in baseball. I'm like, if you walk that first guy, the, the chances of you giving up runs in that inning oh. are, are tremendous. And, and, you know, I, what I was, it was, uh, which game was it? Oh, when they walked Aaron judge in the eighth, when uh, Ryan Thompson did. Yeah. It's like, okay, so you're down a run. Mm-hmm. You got Aaron's judge, your first batter. So you're nibbling around it. And he nibbled and he walked him. Well, then Aaron Judge ends up scoring on, what, a single by Torres? And so now you've tied the game, and you have runners on. Mm-hmm. Instead of a solo home run would have been a tie game, but at least the bases would be empty. I mean, you're still better off just attacking the hitters, and it drives me nuts that when pitchers come in and nibble and, and can't throw strikes, it just drives me nuts in baseball. Throw a stri- uh, The worst thing you can do is give up one run. Yeah. You know, but you yeah. walk that guy, and the odds are you giving up a run are even greater. And now they hit one out, just it's two runs. Hitter. That's yeah. right. The worst you can do is he hits it out of the yard, and you're still tied. But yeah, a free pass just doesn't make sense. And that's after he had gotten out, thrown the double play ball the inning before, did a good job getting out of that jam, and then yeah, walks walks the lead up batter, which you hate. So, but the Rays managed to take two out of three. Like I said, they got the series coming up against the Texans, and uh, you know, not not one of the better ball clubs, but. Uh, we'll see if they can keep it going, and and they're gonna need they're gonna need everybody, man. It's gonna be one of those years where, you know, they might have they might have forty guys throw an inning for them this season. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, it's just it's it's crazy. I'm still trying to learn the names. Like I know guys like Kittredge and you know some of the ones they've had up before last year, but you know no one has a role that's for sure. And it and it's you're still waiting. You don't to know see. Chris Mazza. Or well, I've seen Mazza Jeffrey times Springs now. or Cody Spring, Reed. Springs and Cody Reed, I'm getting familiar with Hunter Strickland. Hunter actually throws hard. I kind of mm. like Hunter oh, yeah. Strickland. Yeah, like you keep bringing in these power arms, I'm all about it. But like yeah. some of these guys, I'm just I'm just not real keen on. I just think overall, and it's mostly because of the starters and the way mm-hmm. you know you've just gotten these guys hurt. Now, you know if Brent Honeywell can if they can build him up, I don't know how you do that on the taxi squad or bringing him back and forth. Well, you're at the alternate site. I mean, you're working yeah. out and. But you if know, they basically. build him up and he comes back, I could mm-hmm. see him being one of their three starters. I really could. If he can stay healthy, he just has that makeup. You know, he's just going to go out there and battle you. And mm-hmm. I know it's two innings, uh, but you know what? The other thing that surprised me was he threw some 95-mile-an-hour fastballs. Mm-hmm. For a guy with four surgeries on on his on his elbow, that's impressive, man. You know, he's still got some velo, which is really nice. So, yeah, absolutely. You know. Also impressive was that the Lightning finally turned it around. They won two games since we last spoke. They beat um, Columbus, and then they went to Nashville and shut out the Predators under Vasilevsky with, his, I think, his fourth shutout. Uh, that was an impressive shutout by Vasilevsky. He made a lot of great saves. Particularly early. Uh, that first period was not well played by the Lightning. No. But Andre Vasilevsky was phenomenal. I mean, we keep saying it, uh, you know, there, I don't think there's any question at this point. He's the best goalie in the game. Um, the Lightning's rush coverage the last few weeks have only proven that because it's been spotty at best, their rush coverage. They give up a lot of two-on-ones, three-on-twos, mm. two-on-os. 
uh, breakaways. Um, and you hope that the trade that the Lightning made over the weekend will help lock that down a little more. Um, if you haven't heard, the Lightning traded their first-round pick this year, a fourth-round pick this year, and a third-round pick next year to get David Savard. It's a right-handed shot defenseman from Columbus who will be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Uh, but they had to pay such a high price of three picks and spread out between two teams, Columbus and Detroit, because Columbus retained 50% of his salary and Detroit retained 25% of his salary, which we've said all along, salary cap-wise. Julian Breezebois had said, you know, body in, body out. Mm-hmm. The real answer was money in, money out. Right. Um, and so by only having to pay 25% of his salary for the remaining part of the season, they're able to squeeze it into the salary cap at this point. I'm not quite sure how they're doing it, but they've done it. And so David Savard, who should have joined the team tonight in Nashville, should be at practice uh, today on Monday and then uh, presumably in the lineup on Tuesday. Yeah, and he's he's a guy that's he's a little, he's an older player, right, first and foremost? He's about 10 years in Columbus he's played. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a veteran. Uh, uh, the Lightning now legitimately have five top four defensemen. Okay. When you say Hedman, McDonough, and, and Sergachev on the left side, and you've got Chernak and Savard on the right side now. Okay. And so presumably for the playoffs, if everyone's healthy, you have those five defensemen, and then you get to take your pick of your six defensemen between Ben Thomas, Cal Foote, mm-hmm. Luke Shen, Jan Ruda, who they expect to be back before the playoffs. Right. And you've also got Andreas Borgman on the left side. So you could, you know, if John Cooper wants to go 11 and 7. Now, you feel a lot better about this defensive side now that presumably, and it may not work out this way, but Hedman and Savard are your top pair. Chernak McDonough is your second pair. And then you've got Sergachev with whoever you want to pair him with on the third pair. Not bad. That's a legit back end now now you're starting to talk, you know now you're starting to talk that depth of last year with when you had zach bogosian and kevin shattenkirk and Braden mm-hmm. coburn you know as part of your defensive core you know now you feel a little better now cal foot doesn't have to take such a prominent role in the playoffs and he's he's improving and doing well but he's still a rookie and still learning and growing he's you know 30 games into his career ben thomas has played what four or five games at this point Right, Luke Shen, you know, you got a veteran in that, and, and he'll see some playoff time depending on the series and matchups in, in that. Sometimes you want that grit, that size, that, you know, that sandpaper that, hey, you're not going to mess with my guys, guy. You know, Luke Shen's one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so this trade is, you know, and I, it's funny, the hockey world immediately was, you know, there's the lightning manipulating the salary cap again. And, you know, there's no way they should be able to do this trade, et cetera, et cetera. I saw some a Toronto writer talking about it that, you know, this is, you know, hockey's got to stop this. This is, this is awful. You know, the lightning are manipulating the rules and da, da, da. And meanwhile, Sunday night, Toronto traded two players and had the other teams retaining a lot of salary as well. So, yeah, <laughs> everybody hates the idea until they copy it. Right. Yeah, well, and, and part of his article was, Hey, you know, if they're going to allow the lightning to do this, everybody else should do it too, which you're seeing teams do that this year. Right. And, and the hard part is the salary cap's not going up next year. It may not go up for several years in hockey. Mm-hmm. And that's what's making this, you know, very different than than in years past where, you know, it's also about, you know, can you retain salary in the future in this? And, and so, you know, like I said, David Savard's a rental, which is the Lightning generally don't do rentals. Um, if you look at their past trade deadline deals, Braden Coburn's, uh, McDonough and JT Miller, when they got them in the play, you know, before the trade deadline, they both had another year on their deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, uh, Coleman and Gaudreau both had another year on their deals. They generally don't do rentals, but this year, for one, they've got a salary cap issue next year, so you couldn't afford to take on a big contract for next year. Two, they needed help on the right side of their defense, especially with Jan Ruda hurt right now, and so. And the other part is they're defending Stanley Cup champions. They have a legit shot to win the Stanley Cup this year. So it's time to go for it. And so now when you couldn't afford to take on contracts for the future, the rental was the only option you had. And and maybe they got the best defenseman that's on the market this year. Yeah, no question. That's that's what they needed to address, and, and, and they did that. But I want to talk about Ross freaking Colton. Or as, or as he's now going to be known as Ross Golton because this guy – 
what is it? Seven goals now in 15, 15 games. Is that what he's played? Yeah. It's funny because um, Saturday night, uh, Jason Robertson on Dallas scored his 10th or 11th goal, I think. And he's a good young rookie. Uh, and we've seen Dallas several times and really like the way the kid plays. Um, he's having a great rookie season and Dallas is touting him for Calder cup and it's, you know, 11 goals and you know, this season I'm like, Ross Colton just got seven and 15 yeah. games. Give, give him another four games. He'll have your rookie of the year run down. No problem. I think that's his fourth game winner too. It is. Um, and, and the points, I mean, he's got assists too. Now let's not just mm-hmm. leave it at goals. I and mean, the guy, don't forget the shootout goal he had too. Yeah. He's got four game winners, I believe um, out of those seven. I mean, it's incredible. And, uh, n- not not for nothing, but my wife has noticed he's a good looking kid as well. Um, he is, but you know the thing is, is that this this was now this was not a guy, you know, prone to you know thirty goal seasons in the AHL, right? But he but he's come up here in this fourth line. Now the pass that Yanni, first of all, give Yanni Gord a ton of credit for that play. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Th- that was remarkable. Um, the, the to set him up, but still, um, his ability first he skates so well. You know, he's always in the right place. You see him in front of the mm-hmm. net all the time. He's there to clean up rebounds. Um, you know, the the move that he made and then slipped it under the five hole. I mean, it was just a it was a it was a tremendous goal. And he brings you know, it's fun watching the other guys watch him have this sort of start. You know what I mean? Like you know they've all come up to the NHL. They know how hard it is and how fast you want to get integrated with a new team and you know, are you gonna stay here or are you just one of these guys that's gonna go back and forth? Listen, I I don't think there's any reason to take this guy off this Lightning team, um, no matter who comes back. You know, it's uh, he is on that for, that fourth line is so good and so productive that you wouldn't want to do anything to disturb it right now. Well, we've talked about they go north. Yes, they're not even north south. They go north. Right, right. I mean that line of of you know, Joseph did a, a decent job when he played center, and that's not his natural position, and he hadn't played it in years. Mm-hmm. But out of the where the roster was. It was Joseph center, Volkov on the wing, and Maroon on the other wing. Right. And that line did okay, and, and Joseph did fine. I mean, he's having a great season. But by putting Colton on that line now, moving Joseph to the wing and Maroon to the other wing, and the other night that wasn't the line because they had to go down a skater based on the Savard trade net. But for the most part, that's been the fourth line. Right. And they just go north. I mean, Joseph and Colton have the speed. Maroon's got the hands and, and the physical strength. And... and like I said, while the rest of the team's been doing a lot of east-west play lately and a lot of passing it, trying to pass it in the net, that line just goes to the net and, mm-hmm. and throws the pucks on the net, and they go get it. And it's right. been it's been fun to watch. And you know, if you would have sat there and said at the beginning of the year which which rookie's going to come up and make the biggest impact, you might have said Alex Volkov, who was already on the roster and was you know part of last year. Alex Barry Boulay would have probably been chosen ahead of Ross Colton. Based and on Barry the Boulay season was he up, he was yeah. up here mm-hmm. sooner too. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he'll be up here again, whether it's this year or next year. And, you know, mm-hmm. he's a very good player. I would have thought he would have had a bigger impact than what Ross Colton's having. And then part of it is Ross Colton fits on a fourth line very well. Yeah. You know, part of Alex Volkov's problem, and he was traded to Anaheim, and, and Barry Boulay, who got a cup of coffee up here and will be back. I mean, he's talented enough and will be, is that they need to play on top six lines maybe in your top nine. They're not a fourth-line player. Mm-hmm. Where Ross fits on that fourth line very well. And he's, you know, it's, it, you know, John Cooper likes to say, we don't have numbers for lines, and it's just a line and whatever. But, you know, each line has a character to it. And, and you need, you know, you're putting certain, that fourth line's being put in when you need stops or you need this. And, and you know, it, it, it is different than, than your top lines. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not expecting them to score as much, although they are right now. And at right. points in the last two weeks, they've carried the team. Yeah. Um, you know, that line and Yanni Gord have pretty much carried the team for the last two weeks, it feels like. Um, but, yeah, he is just exciting to watch and fun. Um, it, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, when Stamkos gets healthy and when Cooch comes back for the playoffs, assuming everyone's still healthy, the Lightning are going to have choice. I mean, if everyone's healthy come playoff time, who do you take out of this lineup? I don't know. I mean, because if, if Stamkos is back and then Kucherov's back, someone's got to come out. Are you taking Colton out? It'd be are hard. You, are you taking Joseph out? Probably. I, but he's having a great year. Well, he is, but, you know, some, I mean, somebody's got to no, go. You know, you know who, 
and I think some of the criticism he gets isn't fair because he plays a lot out of position a lot. You know who may end up being benched some in the playoffs is Tyler Johnson. I could see that. He might be the odd man out in this. I could see that. And Tyler Johnson was a guy that they were willing to separate with this year at all anyway. Sure. But but I mean he's think of all the the playoff heroics he's had in the past for this team. Oh, a ton. And and, he, not, and, and he's know. still, you know, when he plays center, he plays a lot better than wing, but mm-hmm. you know, now generally these things work themselves out and who knows right, if you're going to be do. 100% healthy by the playoffs. Who sure, knows? sure, sure. But it, it would be it would be weird to see Tyler Johnson a healthy scratch in the playoffs. I don't know if it's going to happen. Like I said, it may work out. It, they may go a different direction. It might be it might be Joseph that gets that gets sat, or you know maybe they just do sit Colton. Who knows? Or they rotate those guys in they, and out. They could rotate. I was going to say they could do that. Yeah. You know it, it, who knows? And like I said, injuries. You never know what's going to happen between now and then. But right. You know if you had to look at the the, the forward group, it might be Tyler Johnson that gets sat in the playoffs, which would be. Hard to th- hard to think on this team. I mean, as as important as he's been to this franchise for many many seasons, that would be weird if that happens. Yeah, he's been a mainstay, but um, it was good to see them work out their problems and and uh, and score and and do all the things offensively that they have been lacking. And then you know, of course, Vassy standing up in goal the way he always does, and they're back to their winning ways. Yeah. So and then Stamkos hurt. Yeah, we, we that talk. that one was scary. I guess they say it's not going to be. They don't think it's a long term injury, which is good. Yeah, I mean, generally, the the Lightning are very cryptic. John Cooper and the Lightning are very cryptic about injuries. Mm-hmm. But generally, if a player is out long term, they'll say it right away. Mm-hmm. Generally, it's they're cryptic about the ones that are day to day or even week to week. They'll be more cryptic. You know, Stamkos is going to be out the rest of the regular season. They probably would have announced it already. So. You're hopeful that, and, and, and Cooper said, "Look, doubtful for Tuesday's game. Mm-hmm. Hopeful to have him back when we're back in Tampa. So maybe later this week, maybe next week. Right. Um, you know, it was kind of a nothing play. Yeah, you couldn't really detect what he did, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, he kind of you know chipped the puck in and then kind of winced, and mm-hmm. it was like, what happened? You know, it's no one really knows what happened to him. So, right. No. You know, hopefully, you know, because the and." The power play looked lost without him. Granted, they haven't practiced. You know, generally he's there for practice and everything else too. But um, their power play units on Saturday were all mixed up, and you know now because you don't have Kucherov or Stamkos on a power play. Yeah, that's taking a lot. Yeah, it's taking a lot off that off that power play. But yeah, I'm just glad you know both with him and and we talked about Archer. I'm glad guys like that aren't you know you, it's a there's an emotional price to pay when you lose somebody, and especially with all of Stamkos's injuries to this point. And, you know, without having Kucherov, you don't want to be without him. So, um, you know, it's good good that they're not thinking that this is long-term. So we'll see how the Lightning do. They, they certainly are, um, you know, right there at the top of their uh, of their division, and, and it's going to be quite a race to the finish. But we know they're going to make the playoffs. Well, we're down to about 15 games, I want to say, before That's this correct. season is over. Yep. It's incredible to think that um, – you know that they're they're winding it up that we'll fast. See the regular season for the Lightning scheduled to end May tenth, so we're less than a month from the end That's of the regular crazy, season. Isn't it? Well, it was a fast year. I mean, fifty games, right? So fifty six. Yep. Fifty six. Yep. Yeah. So, so sort of a sprint. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, we'll wrap it up on this. I uh, I did a story, check it out on TampaBay.com and uh, the Tampa Bay Times on Sunday. Uh, we're beginning our draft coverage. We've actually already began it, as a matter of fact. But we know uh, that the Bucks are picking 32nd uh, last in the NFL, and that's a good thing, right? You you would like to pick there every year. It means you won the Super Bowl most likely, unless you somehow traded into that pick. But uh, So they're not complaining first and foremost. No one's going to try to put the champagne back in the bottle, as they say. But I do think that if you look at that spot, the number 32 spot, there's been some great players chosen there even some quarterbacks like Drew Brees or Lamar Jackson right have gone 32 overall Um, what's interesting is that 
you know, the Bucks have always been the anti Super Bowl team uh, for the most part, even though they've won two Lombardis. But they've owned the top ten pick in the draft nineteen times uh, in the last forty five years, and that doesn't include trading away a few of those high draft choices in 79 and 83, 92. Um, of course, they did make some picks like Bo Jackson that never ended up playing here. Uh, and and so, you know, this time, obviously, the Jason Light and his scouting department are happy to sit around until what will likely be probably after midnight. Uh, the draft starts uh, on a Thursday. It'll probably be Friday morning after 12 a.m. before they make their their first pick if they stay there. So you're telling but, me we have a late night that night on the podcast? I'm telling you we have a yeah, I'm telling you we should just like I don't know what we should do. Maybe maybe <laughs> have a long conversation with somebody and then we'll tell you who they pick the next day because <laughs> frankly, we're not gonna know till about two AM. Uh, no, the worst the worst is when they wait till after midnight and then they trade down to and then the they third trade pick out. of the second round. Yeah, there you go. So you've been there. And that's a real possibility. I was gonna oh. get to that because out of the last ten years, okay. The, the 32nd pick in the draft has been traded four times. So 40% of the time, um, the team that, that has the 32nd overall pick uh, deals that pick away. So they may not draft anybody. We could go – you could go to bed, you know, after midnight that Thursday, uh, April 29th, and, and find out that they didn't take anybody because they, they dealt it. Uh, but, you know, part of this is – what makes it interesting this year is that they're returning, you know, all 22 starters. And that hasn't happened for a Super Bowl team since like 1977 when the Raiders were able to do that. And so, you know, they, they, they are in a position where everybody says, well, we're going to take the best player available, except for kicker, as Jason Light says. But, you know, they're always – I talked to John Spitek, who's their uh, director of player personnel, and he goes, you know – and I, I've always said this, if somebody's telling you they're picking the best player available, they're kind of lying to you, right? Like it's a sliding scale. I mean, if you're picking high, especially you want the best player available, but you'd like for it to be at a position of need. Only this year it is truer for them than it would be other years because, you know, of the 22 starters. But you can still look at areas where, you know, where they need a little depth, where they're a little bit older, like the defensive line that we talked about, um, your outside linebackers, obviously. A quarterback, even you can consider it at you know Tom Brady's age, and so you're hoping to maybe cover yourself in some areas where you don't have a ton of depth. But you know, quarterbacks one of those interesting positions. Um, you know, I don't. Again, I I don't think anybody's going to come in here and replace Tom Brady for at least two or three more years because you get a developmental guy. I mean, Jason Light has said he could do that, uh, especially this year because you kind of have the luxury. They're not expecting although they would like for their their early picks to play and contribute, but it's not somebody they're looking to come in like Tristan Wirfs or Antoine Winfield Jr. and start for them right away. They're not drafting that guy necessarily. It'd be great if they won a job or they could back up at some point during the year, but it's not somebody that they're counting on. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that it's going to be really interesting to see how the Bucks navigate this and um, – but there's less pressure, you know, than when you pick in the top 10, top 12, top five, like they did with Devin White. You know, when you do that, uh, you really want to hit on a guy. You don't, you know, you don't want to have any misses. And we know in the first round there's a about a 50% miss rate. But I'm looking forward to seeing how the other half lives. I mean, the Patriots have had this 30-second pick so many times because of Brady. Now Brady comes here and the Bucks have it. Um, the Patriots have traded it away before. And, and, uh, you know, the Bucks could move up a couple spots and, and forfeit, you know, a second rounder or something else later in the draft, or some team that needs a, another position could say, Hey, this is our chance to get a guy in the first round. And with the first round, you draft a player one through 32, you get a fifth year option. And that's huge, right? Because you're, you're not going to have to worry about a guy reaching free agency like Chris Godwin did, for example, because Chris was taken like nine in in the nineties, right? He was taken in the third round. And so, you know, Chris, you only had control of him for four years and then he became a free agent. You franchised him. But in the case of, of uh, drafting somebody in the first round, like an OJ Howard or somebody in 32nd, you get a fifth year option. So they don't become free agents. There's a, there's a salary bump, but it's not, uh, doesn't give them the ability to, uh, you know, to shop uh, their services as a free agent. So that's important to some teams as well. So, you know, it's uh, it's we're just ramping this up. We're going to have coverage 
on the draft um, throughout the next two or three weeks. I know I've got stories about quarterbacks. We're going to discuss Kyle Trask a little bit uh, in the Bucks uh, and just Trask for his own purposes. And, and some of the other quarterbacks, I think running back's an interesting position that could come up late in the draft at 32 as well. Um, Ronald Jones and you know, playoff Lenny or Lombardi Lenny are both free agents after this year. So a lot of implications there. Check it out on TampaBay.com and the Tampa Bay Times all week long, leading you right up to the draft on April 29th, I believe it is. Finally, uh, my master's pick, John Rahm, did not finish first. He was in the top 10, however, um, which is better than I can say for, I don't know, guys like, you know, some some of the favorites out there, I guess, going in. Dustin Johnson didn't make the cut. Um, there, were, there were a couple uh, that didn't get there. But, uh, listen, it was historic, right? Hideki uh, Matsuyama wins, and um, he went into the final round. I think he had a four-shot lead. Uh, at one point, I think it got to five shots, and then it, they, it got really tight there uh, with Xander Shoffley was making a run. And then no sooner did he get it to uh, about a two-stroke margin on 16, Shoffley hits it in the water. And, I mean, that was just a disaster. And he wound up taking, I think, a seven on that hole. Um, and, you know, it, it the, the, the margin looks like one or two shots, whatever it was that uh, Matsuyama won by, but, you know, he tapped. He tapped in for a safe bogey on the final hole with a two-shot lead. First Japanese player to win a major, obviously the first one to win the Masters. And it's it's hard to even – I mean, we can't even fathom what this means to his country, what what, what kind of a national hero he is. Golf has had a uh, an explosion uh, in Japan. There's not an abundance of courses there's a lot of driving ranges, but the but but the, the game has really grown over there. And Matsuyama, the interesting thing about him was he was the low amateur at the Masters ten years ago. He was in Butler Cabin as the low amateur. They didn't have an amateur make the cut this year, so they didn't have anybody. But here he is ten years later. He's twenty nine years old. By all accounts of all the golfers, just like one of the really good good guys, good dude, tremendous game. But he he sort of ran away with it. He, he kept his nerves. He had a little bit of hiccups here and there. But for the most part, man, he was solid. And uh, it was really a cool event. And, he, and he's not, you know, he's not prone to a lot of emotion. But he did get emotional after uh, he saw his caddy. And they had been together for some time. But it was just a neat, it was a neat event. And the Masters is, is my favorite golf tournament to watch. Uh, I watched it sort of all week. You know, Jordan Spieth had his run. A lot of people had their run, but you got to hand it to him, man. This this guy um, making history uh, as the first Japanese golfer to win a major, much less the Masters. All right. Hey, folks, um, our very popular mailbag segment is coming up tomorrow. We don't want you to miss it. I've already got some questions left over um, really from the last one, and you can send them to us anytime. But if you want to participate in the mailbag, you got questions about the Bucks, the Bolts, the Rays, uh, college football, you name it, USF, Florida State, some news up, some stuff going on at Florida State as well in their football program. We'll be happy to answer it for you. All you have to do is send us the questions on Twitter if you prefer. Uh, that's at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Speaking of Florida State, yeah. did you see McKenzie Milton? I did. Game? He was really good. He was really good. What a story, man! Talk about great stories, right? I mean, jeez, mm-hmm. he came through uh, from a, like an Alex Smith type of injury. Oh yeah, I mean that was uh, right here at Raymond James Stadium against USF. Mazzy uh, Wilkins, as yeah. a matter of fact, former Buck, was the USF player that uh, that snapped his leg and transfers to Florida State. I don't know if he's going to win the job, but they say he's in the he's in the mix. Mike Norvell <laughs> says he's right there. He made an, imp- an impressive statement at the spring game to say, "Hey, you better consider me." Yeah, don't forget me. And, and I mean, I again, it's just a I mean, he's already going to be a 30 for 30 right one day, but yeah, that was that what was if, impressive. What if I told you? What if I told you? That's right. <laughs> and he, and I love guys who go from, you know, one state school to the next and it's just it's just kind of cool. So, yeah, that's something to follow for sure. Uh, so we'll have the we'll have the mailbag tomorrow. Tom Jones, my former radio partner, uh, also longtime columnist at the Tampa Bay Times, now with Pointer. He'll be with us a couple of days this week, I'm sure, and maybe we'll talk a little Rays baseball later in the week as well as they uh, continue their homestand against the Texas Rangers. 
coming to the trop. So make sure you get down there. It's kind of nice, man. Baseball's back. I really enjoyed watching a game and, and it's, uh, you forget. I've watched a lot of games and a lot of events on TV. Of course, during the pandemic, there's something about, and I was not in the press box. I went with my son. I was in the crowd. I'm telling you, there is something about watching these sports in person. Um, even with 9,000 fans at the trop, it was really cool. So check that out. If you get a chance. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.